are listening to Spitball with Adri Paul Hope Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to this wildcard weekend episode of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows. Joining me this week, as always, is my co-host, Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, sir? I'm awesome. Shame no one can see me. I'm striking an awesome pose, but anyway, that's <laughs> done with. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> You're just never going to get used to the fact that we're an audio podcast, are you, buddy? Putting all these awesome faces, but uh, there's no video. Yeah, I know, but I, in my head, fine. I think you know what we're going to have to do is you're going to have to either put out some uh, Twitter photos or uh, send me some photos so I can put them in the show notes so people can see these awesome faces of yours. I think both. Good idea. Well, join us <laughs> <laughs> when we come back for our recap of this weekend's playoff action. The Super Bowl is defined by spectacular plays, and those that have the longest staying power are often the longest runs. From time to time, for some teams, lightning strikes twice. He's gone! He's gone! Touchdown! He'll hand off to Smith. Timmy Smith! As time passes, those plays and players grow in stature. Throughout Super Bowl history, familiar faces have risen to the moment. Even if it means rising and running in the opposite direction. Now, with another super stage on the verge of being set, who will join them in a run for immortality? Let's start our recap with the first game of the wildcard weekend, which was Kansas City and Houston. And hey, there's one way to start a wildcard weekend. There's one way to start a wildcard weekend. How about Niall Davis returning it to the horse on that kickoff return? Absolutely brutal. What do you think about that, mate? Uh, yeah, phenomenal way to start a playoff game. Just taking a kickoff straight back to the house gives your team such massive momentum. It gives you the first score. It's a special team score as well, which gives the team an extra special lift. And uh, yeah, they they didn't really uh, look back much after that, did they? No, absolutely. And you mentioned momentum there. That was the thing for me, is that Houston just didn't find any of it. I know you could put it on Hoyer that he had a bad game, probably the worst game he's had, bless him. Four interceptions and a fumble. Every time they seem to get moving, I mean, they had that big drive when they could have scored points, even tried to put JJ Watt in the wildcat. But even that, Hoyer throws an interception, kills the drive, and they walk away with Nilpwa on the scoreboard. And that was a big thing for me, because when they brought in JJ Watt and Vince Wilfork, for me, the best thing to have done would have been left Brian Hoyer in, J.J. Watt at tight end, Vince Wilfork at fullback, play action, J.J. Watt, because they're going to be expecting a run behind Vince Wilfork, but they obviously still have to honour the fact that you've got J.J. Watt in there, so it's kind of a, you could got the choice to audible at the line of scrimmage and, and pick the uh, the best option for your offence. Yeah, it felt very gimmicky for me, but although, however, I've got to actually hand it down to Kansas City just had the entire scope of the trench battles all day, defensively, offensively they just held the line of scrimmage and I think that's that was key to me where the game was won and lost because there was no pass rush on Alex Smith really whereas Brian Hoyer was really uncomfortable in the pocket all day uh, JJ Watt kind of they pulled him out by just like running so many quick passes or jet sweeps basically 
you're one of the best pass rushers in the game. How about we get rid of the ball so quick? Don't matter, mate. Um, and for me, their game plan was phenomenal. Yeah, Andy Reid certainly did a great job of trying to keep JJ Watt out of the game and, and all of that Houston pass rush. And I think it's such a shame for Houston to go out in such a way. I mean, not scoring any points at all at home in a wildcard playoff game is not really what you want. But on a plus note, hey, I hear RG3 is available next year. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of positives, yeah. Um, but again, it's not a way you want to finish. Kansas City finished this game up winning 30 points to zero. Then we come on now to Cincinnati versus Pittsburgh and the Steelers built up a 15 point lead thanks to an amazing touchdown catch from Martavius Bryant which a link is going to be in the show notes they also managed to put in a few field goals as well while they were doing that the Bengals were struggling to move the ball on offense and really for me I think the game turned on a big sack from Burflitt on Roethlisberger which knocked him out of the game sent him into the locker room and it allowed the Bengals to mount a comeback with Jeremy Hill on a touchdown run. Um, big P.I. call pass for A.J. Green, who then went and scored on the go-ahead touchdown. Under two minutes left in the game. I mean, this game kind of swung, like I say, on that Roethlisberger injury. Bengals were trying to ice a game in those last two minutes. And then Ryan Shazier stepped up, forced a fumble gave the Steelers the ball back, and before you know it, Roethlisberger comes in as the hero, fourth and three, completes a pass to Antonio Brown. Next play, looks for Antonio Brown again, passes incomplete, but Burflicht absolutely lights up Antonio Brown, giving him a concussion, um, called for a personal foul. That got followed up by another personal foul uh, by Adam Jones on Joe Pauls, who had come on to check on Brown, cost the Bengals 30 yards, and ultimately, the winning field goal was kicked by Pittsburgh with 18 seconds left on the clock. That's basically how the game went. What did you make of it, Marcus? It was this massive sort of swing where the game did sort of rotate on its head. And bless him, Landry Jones just couldn't get the Pittsburgh offence moving quite like Big Ben did. Again, though, it was it was the momentum we were talking about in the last game. Bengals found the momentum, but for me, what really killed them off... I mean, Antonio Brown wasn't going to make that catch, so he perfectly didn't have to light him up like that and knocking him out. And so for me, they lost their heads. This is what happens. They've done this all year now. There's such bad blood between the two teams. They let that get the better of them at a crucial moment. You know, that would, if you just left the guy out of it, didn't make the catch, you know what? That would have been another down. They would have wasted a bit more time on the clock. There's no saying. You might have got a defensive stop. Instead, you lost your cool and took the shot. Then, like you said, Pac-Man Jones, Adam Jones, uh, loses his rag, um, gets flagged again. It's just... You lost your call, didn't let the Steelers beat you. You beat yourself up with those last two stupid plays. And I just want to finish off on this game, bearing in mind now that the Bengals haven't won a playoff game since, I think it's 19, uh, it's in the 90s anyway, certainly. Will they fire their head coach on the back of it? I don't know if you do. I mean, the fact is, okay, playoff woes are, are bad, but the fact is you're consistently getting to the playoffs. I mean, there, there were times, I mean, they, they were called the Cincinnati Bungles for a reason, because they were awful. And the fact is that this franchise has taken a massive turnaround and all they're doing is missing that one key component, which seems to be just being able to put together a win in the the postseason. I don't even know if they have a postseason win that suddenly makes all their days flowery, but they're consistently winning. They're having good seasons. I think you've got to have faith in it. It will all click together. Have the faith. It all clicks together. You're a good team. 
we move on now to the Sunday games, and we are going to start with yourself, Marcus, and the Redskins and the Packers. Oh, man, again, you know, this game would tailor two different sort of sets here because, of course, they started out that first quarter. I mean, we had a real early fire from, from the Redskins. Uh, safety, Aaron Rodgers. Um, really should have managed to avoid that himself. But there was a, a pass late in that first quarter where Deshaun Jackson catches the ball. He runs technically through the end zone, but having the ball outside of the pylon as he goes out of bounds, meaning that the ball never crossed the plane, which basically meant that they would settled for a field goal instead of getting themselves uh, seven points. Um, they were a great pass to Jordan Reed later on in the second quarter to, to put themselves up. I think it was by that time, it was like 11-0, uh, 11, 11 but then Packers came into it. They methodically did what they had to do. They would slow down their game with a very effective run game and they banged up the defense for Green Bay, which didn't have its starting corner. It, uh, was, it was lacking on depth at linebacker. They only had about three suited linebackers in. That's all they had. They held together and they managed to just constrict that very powerful Redskins offense over the last couple of weeks to actually not being able to execute what they wanted to. Now, the Redskins would then bring it back after the half, get another lead. But that fourth quarter, you know, they did it so well with Eddie Lacy and James Starks. They just run out the ball with the Packers um, and they were just methodical in knowing that we're going to kill the clock as we go ahead, build up a lead, and then we're just going to kill it off the game. And for me, that was clever. That was really well managed. But how did you see it? Yeah, very similar. When it got to 11-0 with the the Redskins up, you're wondering if Packers are just going to fold, but they managed to change up the pace. And it was that change of pace in the offense, going to the no huddle. They managed to get a few penalties with 12 men being on the field and just keeping that constant, consistent pace up with the offense, whether they're running the ball, whether they're passing the ball, the fact that the defense didn't have any time to make substitutions. You're always going to tire out a defense, especially when you've got 300 plus pound guys playing in the middle of your defensive line you can't expect them to be on the field for sort of five six minutes straight at that sort of pace it's just not going to happen and when it does happen that's when obviously mistakes happen and Green Bay really used that up tempo to their advantage and ultimately it's what led to their victory yeah and Aaron Rodgers definitely looked a lot more comfortable when he was given control of running the no huddle offense and changing the audibles at the line and that's his strength really he is He's got such an acumen to sort of adjust to the situation rather than sort of having him just sort of have to relay the message back and sort of play to a game plan. The uh, Packers won that game 35 to 18, if I'm not mistaken. And we're going to finish off the recap by talking about some great defence as we come on to the Seattle Seahawks versus Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota only managed field goals despite having a lot of time of possession in the first half, and particularly in the first quarter. I think by the time it ticked over into the second quarter, the Vikings had had over 13 minutes of possession and yet they only managed three points in the first half. And Doug Baldwin made an unbelievable one-handed catch in this game, which we're going to put in the show notes. But on that drive, Russell Wilson threw an uncharacteristic pick on fourth down, which ended that drive. And the game did turn, however, with a bad snap by the Seahawks, which Russell Wilson recovered. Not only did he recover, but he had time to look up, see he had space, scrambled and hit pocket. Rocket Locket for a monster gain. Again, that's going to be in the show notes. Um, Seahawks got a touchdown off that drive. On the ensuing drive, Vikings are going to their go-to guy, Adrian Peterson. But Cam Chancellor does what he does best, came up with a big play, forced a fumble, and that ultimately led to the Seahawks' go-ahead field goal, putting them up 10-9. In the end, the Vikings somehow still had a chance to win it with 30 seconds left, but a bad snap led to the Laces being in and Walsh missing that all-important kick. The Seahawks went on to win this one 10 
to nine. Who are you? I don't even know your name. What's your name? Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn around. I don't know you, bro. You're having one of those days. Hey, baby. You're having one of those days. I say that to say this. And you wouldn't have did what you would have did. Then we wouldn't have been where we was at to get what we got. That just don't make no sense, dog. Marcus, put your shoe on. Put it on. Jeez. I can't face with these gloves. I'm a teeth. I think I chipped my tooth. I wish I had some gold so you can buy me some tea. We come on now to what would usually be our weekly musings, but instead we're going to have a look at some news from around the NFL and, of course, look ahead to the divisional matchups this coming weekend. So, going through the news, all of the home teams lost in the wildcard round this week, and that was the first time since the system began in the 1990s season, Marcus. There was a few people when I was talking to them, they're like, what odds do you get for all the away teams losing? Uh, winning, sorry. It's just, um, yeah, that's so, so crazy because you always think of like home field advantage. It's like, <laughs> weren't there this week. It certainly wasn't. Another piece of news from around the league, and that is that Rob Ryan, Rex's twin brother, has been hired by the Bills as an assistant head coach slash defensive coordinator. It'll be interesting to see how those two work together. I'm not quite sure. Still not 100% sold on that move because of obviously everything that happened in New Orleans towards the end of his tenure there. Yeah, it seems more like, uh, don't worry, brother, I got your back. I get your job. That sort of thing. Yeah, hopefully they can work well together. And at the end of the day, if the Bills come up with a top five defense next year, I'm definitely not going to be complaining. Um, also in the AFC East, we have Adam Gaze has been hired as the Miami Dolphins head coach. Almost like they wanted to spite me and not hire Mike Smith. And they've gone for someone probably half his age instead and a, a first time opportunity for Adam Gaze as a head coach. Yeah, it definitely seems like um, a build for the future there. Um, Adam Gaze is, of course, the guy who's really sort of brought out or tried to bring out Cutler as a sort of passing presence. And I think the idea is they spent a lot of money on Tannehill. Um, so they need to get their, their money's worth. So I think they brought in a head coach who they feel can get the best out of Ryan Tannehill. And do you have any other news that I may not have picked up there? The only other thing um, I can really think of really is RG3 has uh, parted ways with the Redskins. A um, little bit obvious as it's kind of become team cousins now. It'd be interesting to see where he finds. There's a few teams that you can see he'd be a good fit for. But I think there's still life left in RG3 and I hope that this whole season or the last two seasons doesn't just completely get him despondent and he sort of loses faith in the system and he comes back stronger. I would love to see him in the AFC somewhere because purely because then you could end up in a couple of years time when Brady and Manning do retire it will be RG3 versus Luck and I'm really looking forward to him finding a home where he can be successful and then having Luck and RG3 being the battle for the AFC East every year for the sort of upcoming years. Where you look at it now is you're sitting there going there's a lot of young franchises as well looking to rebrand themselves who better to rebrand themselves behind than RG3 he's already a poster boy ready to go we come on now to the look ahead towards this weekend's playoff games the divisional round of the playoffs and I want to start with New England versus Kansas and um, Julian Edelman may be back which is a massive boost for that New England offense but for me, and I'm not sure what you think of this, Marcus, but it all depends on how their O-line handles the pass rush of Kansas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I, I said earlier in, in, in the segments, Kansas City had the perfect game plan to dominate the line of scrimmage. Now, that's going to be important because, of course, we know Tom Brady is a master if he's given time in the pocket. Now, what they got to do is they got to get to him, fluster him, 
break down his rhythm, and that would be the key to the game. They've got good defense, New England, but I think Andy Reid will create a methodic, patience-based offense as they've had all season and look to to take their opportunities when they arise. They're not going to push their luck. They're going to have their defense just strangle New England, get them into good field positions, and then wait for their offense to take the opportunities when it seizes them. And we'll stay in the AFC East now and go on to the Denver versus Pittsburgh game. Marcus, what are your thoughts on that one? This could be a doozy. Now, Big Ben is saying that his his shoulder is day-to-day situation. Of course, that is going to be the biggest situation for me because I just don't see Landry Jones ready to sort of take this sort of mantle to go into mile high and deliver a big pressure win. Against a... Pretty much one of the best defences in the league as well. If Peyton Manning's back, it could be a very scary time for Pittsburgh Steelers fans and possibly uh, a big blowout this weekend. And I'm glad you mentioned Roethlisberger there because he's rumoured to have a separated shoulder from that Bengals game. So it's the kind of injury where you'd be lucky to play, I think, against the, the Broncos. But they really do need him because, like you say, I don't think Jones is going to be the guy to get that Pittsburgh team and pass the, the Denver defence because that Denver defence is another great defence this year and with uh, the likes of Aqib Tlaib, who I'm not sure whether he's actually injured at the moment or not thinking about it. But um, either way, the Broncos defence just finding ways to win even when that offense doesn't step up. And of course, Denver have Manning back in the side. So if they can keep him on his feet, um, obviously we'll be looking at them having a great game. The one thing I will say is look out for Ryan Shazir in this game because he's going to be a bullet all over that field. If Pittsburgh are going to pull this out, they've basically got to turn this into sort of a defensive slugfest where someone's going to have to take a pick six back to the house and that'll make all the difference. And I'm glad you mentioned there the defensive slugfest because we come on now to the Seattle versus Carolina game and that's exactly um, what I think this game is going to be. Both teams are going to struggle to move the ball effectively. You can see this one being settled by a late field goal or even overtime. Oh, absolutely. I can completely agree with you there you know Moneyline has got Carolina 2.5 point favourites so even Vegas thinks it's going to be a field goal in the game I'd like to see how Cam Newton steps up to this he's had some some pretty easy games this this year what with his division and stuff like that not posing as much as a challenge as you'd imagine so therefore I I really think they've had a bit more of an easy cruise into their 15 and 1 season so you know what here is a challenge here is a brick wall in front of you uh you gotta get through this And for the second time this year, Cam takes on Cam. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Let's finish off with Green Bay versus Arizona. Marcus, where do you see the the key matchups in this game? It all goes back to a couple of weeks ago when Arizona just decimated Green Bay. That's going to be prominent in their mind. However, you've got to sit there and you've got to come in. You had a good win over Washington. Use that to bolster yourself. Like you say, the control of the the actual the clock and actually being able to to keep the the defensive again back to this line of scrimmage that's going to be an important key part. You know they've had a lot of mix and match Green Bay this year, what with injuries and stuff, and they've had people put in. They're kind of getting back to full health now. I still think that Calais Campbell that. The defensive line is going to cause them troubles. Um, so it's going to be a lot of possibly quick passing, running on the outside of the perimeter. Got to find ways of just, like Kansas City did, negate the line of scrimmage, okay? Get the ball out quickly. For me, Arizona, Carson Palmer, he's got to be on form. He's got to be on form and he's got to be able to take uh, advantage of the fact that that Green Bay defense is still banged up. There's still starters not playing and second stringers having to come into it. So that's really where it comes to. He's uh, Carson Palmer's got to take advantage of that. 
Green Bay have got to somehow negate the defensive line. Yeah, for me, I see this game being a bit of a shootout between Rodgers and Palmer. I, whilst both teams have got pretty good defences, I think ultimately it's going to come down to who has the better game between Rodgers and Palmer. Oh, y'all want the play? Okay, here we go. We've got gun, Hulk left slot. Dixie left, Key left. Mercedes, wide chip, Ricky. Zebra left, 75, Katie. Omaha, quick go. You are listening to Spitball. We come on now to our impact. Players. And of course, our... Now, Marcus, I'm going to let you go first with your impact. Player. That's awesome. Glad to do so. Um, and there was only really one candidate for me this week, um, just because... He just made such an impact. And that is going to be Ryan Chase linebacker for Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, I, I had you down as saying that I thought you were going to go with Russell Wilson. It was literally even all weekend. Literally, this guy was the only one I thought of. Nine tackles, four assists, two forced fumbles. Again, that real critical one to give them a chance to win the game. Of course, he had another big hit earlier on, uh, on Giovanni, a clean hit on Giovanni Bernard, um, which he dislodged the ball in that one. Guy hits hard and he's smart the way he plays, ripping the ball out, holding Hill up and just trying to get the rip. So for me, no bigger impact than giving your team a chance to win. And well, let's not forget that he also had a fumble recovery and two passes defensed, almost like he was my impact player as well. <laughs> oh, just to see the look on his face now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For me, like you say, um, there was only one one choice this week. He absolutely was my um, impact player. Just, yeah, you covered it all there. And we shall move on then to our... And this week, we're going to continue the theme from last week where we give each other a game to predict. So for this one, as you stole my impact player, I'm going to go first and ask you, Marcus, to predict <laughs> the New England Patriots versus Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you know what? This is going to be a real close game, but you can't beat on form. 11 straight games for Kansas City. Let's make it 12. Yes. It's not going to be easy, though. It's going to be a close game, and it's going to come down to uh, Cairo Santos field goal, I think. So I'm going to go 55% to uh, my Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be three-point win. It is going to come down to his field goal, and it's going to be a field goal miss from him that wins the game for New England. Check it out. So what game do you have for <laughs> me, Marcus? <laughs> I'm going to jump across to the NFC and the big matchup everyone wants to see. Can you give me your of Seattle facing off against the Carolina Panthers? It would be real easy to give a close prediction for this one. I do think it's going to be a defensive battle, but I'm going to go bold style with my swing and I'm going to say Seattle 65 Carolina 35. So you're looking at the Seahawks to win this game by at least 10 points boom you have been told spanhead productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural hertfordshire we specialize in creating content for all your podcasting needs whether it be field recordings fox pops or capturing the atmosphere during social events editing is a very time consuming job so spanhead productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound and we will do the rest we can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too visit us now spamheadproductions.weebly.com that's spamheadproductions.weebly.com well that wraps it up from us for another week 
all that remains is for me to firstly thank my amazing co-host Marcus. Oh, stop it. And of course, our producer, Mark Taylor from Spamhead Productions. Don't forget, we are downloadable on iTunes. If you want to contact us, remember. Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. And of course, you can get a hold of us on social media at ballhawksnest, at Audrey Mallows, and at Marcus underscore innuendo. And until next time, football fans, enjoy the playoff action. Stay safe. Take care and thanks for stopping by.